All right, so let's go to 1 Corinthians 12 tonight, 1 Corinthians 12, and uh, pick up there. Lord willing, we will get done this chapter before we take the break for Workshop Wednesdays in May. Um, and and uh, this stuff that we're going to talk about tonight, I just love it so much because it's so very, very practical, um, real life for us uh, in church life, but in our, in our social interactions and, and things like that. So uh, we talked last time about how Paul is trying to really confront the Corinthian church about uh, their tendency towards division, towards comparison, towards, uh, you know, pride, arrogance, you know, leaving people out, including the people they think matter, that kind of stuff. And so Paul comes with the body is a unit. It's many parts, but it is one. It is one body uh, through one spirit into one body and one spirit. So there's all these ones. It's talking about the unity in the body. And even though we are very different, we are called to work together. We are called to fit together as one. Uh, and it's a little bit, you know, there's so many different applications of that, but a little bit of what we're talking about on Sunday where you're, you might feel like, well, you know, I don't have to suffer, but a statement like that really lets you kind of escape the connection, the spiritual connection we have with our brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering. And, and so why would that not matter to me if they're part of my body? You know what I mean? Like something's wrong there if that doesn't matter to me. Uh, similarly, in a church, if, if someone is sad, if someone is broken, if someone's going through a hard time, it's why we do things like benevolent offering, so that we can share together in that suffering and so that there's not a, a sense of someone being alone. And I, you know, as a pastor, I can't tell you how many times it has been a, a blessing to me, like a, a privilege to me, to talk to somebody who is really overwhelmed with life and really hurting and, um, you know, something's just caved in on them, and they're just sharing, they're just pouring it out, and and one of the things that they need, you know, they have financial needs or something, and I say, listen, if that's something you have a need in your life, I'd love to connect you with our needs team because we don't want you to stand alone in that. You know, if there's something we can do to help, we want to help. God doesn't always give us the ability to help, but when he does, we want to do it, and we have a heart to do it whenever we can because we're one. So we express that in ways like that, in meaningful ways, in ways of fellowship, in being open and not, you know, you can come in on Sunday and sit down in your pew and and kind of zone in on on the back of the chair in front of you or whatever and and just do your own thing. But that's not really expressing what Paul's talking about here as we are the body and we're connected and and we need to know each other and care about each other. Uh, Really, really important stuff. And so he says, you know, just like the body functions with different parts uh, and is one, we are similarly. And it's talking about the coordination of the body, the, the fact that, you know, your hand serves the rest of your body by doing the things that it was made to do so that your body can function well, right? Your lungs serve your body. They're not just like, well, I've got all the air and I'm not sharing it with anybody, right? Like, there's a way that your lungs serve the rest of your body by oxygenating your blood so that, so that you have the ability to use muscles and burn calories and all that kind of stuff with the physicality of your body. And so our body works together even though it's different, okay? We are interdependent, and in a very real way, we are the body of Christ on earth. Jesus was God in human flesh. Jesus ascended back to heaven, and now the representation of God in human form is you and I. And have you noticed that? People get their impression about what God is like by what His children act like, how we represent Him. Have you noticed that? Uh, Even a deeper one, kids get their impression of what God is like from their parents. We represent in a physical way what God is to people. And I can't tell you how deep some of those impressions go. Sitting and talking with people who had a a traumatic childhood and, and 
father figures or mother figures or whoever who were supposed to watch out for them and take care of them and abuse them instead puts a deep impression on them about what God is like. Does that make sense? So we do, in a very physical, real way, reflect God to people. And and there's different realms of that, but that's how we do it. All right? So now we're going to start at verse 14. And this is a part down to verse 20, this next chunk. There's kind of two chunks here, but we're going to just look at the first one tonight. It says this, Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. This is just so like, brilliant in Paul's explanation of it. You know how your body has many parts, and we are one. And then he goes and addresses something that's really inside of so many people. Who is he talking to in this chunk of verses? What kind of person is he talking to? The people who think they don't matter. Did you pick that up? How do, we, how do you get that from this passage? What do we see there that tells us that? Sure, we all need each other, but what's he, what, why do I get the idea here that Paul is talking to people who think they don't matter? Yeah, first it was, you know, don't you understand we all have spiritual gifts and, and every single one of us, and some think these are better or those are better. Now he's talking to people and saying what? What's he say to them just to point out to them? Okay, so he gives this logic. Every part has to be there for the body to function. And he's addressing people who are saying what to themselves? I don't matter. Did you see that? Why, won't I, why don't I matter according to this? No, what's, not that the body's not functioning. Because my gift is this. And explicitly, not that. All right, did you pick that up? Here he goes. If an ear should say... Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. How many people do you know who diminish and minimize their worth? Who have questions about whether they matter? Bigger questions than that. Questions about whether they belong. Did you see that? Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. Now, we know people are different. You may see similarities in people. You know, people tell me, you know, my, my children have this characteristic of me, that character, this part, this one's a twin of me or whatever, right? But they're not me. They're different than me. You know what I mean? There's every single person, no matter how similar, we are different people. What kind of things come out in our world because there are different people? What kind of stuff happens because there are different people in this world? Okay? There is exclusion. There, we find a way to draw a line that brings some people in based on whatever we want to make the category, and some people out. You've probably been on the in, and you've probably been on the out. You probably remember the out more than you remember the in. That's just kind of how it is. You remember when somebody said, I don't want you, you don't belong here, more than you remember, yeah, come on in. Especially if you struggle with, do I matter? Because when if you struggle with, do I matter? Am I significant? Am I important? 
when someone includes you, what are you thinking? They must feel sorry for me. I'm not really included. This is pity. Or what else do you think? They're, they have something they want from me. Right? You second guess. Uh, you know what? It's just a matter of time before I'm on the outside again. Like You find every reason to not embrace the inclusion if you struggle with feeling like a nothing. And I know many of you in your dark moments, and maybe even out loud, struggle with that. This is a ministry filled with people that God wants to free from that lie. And it is a lie. And I hope you see that the way Paul addresses this. He addresses it gently. He addresses it with like undeniable logic. But he addresses it to people who have allowed lies to settle into their brain, into their head, into their heart, believed them, and are living them out. And these lies are terribly damaging. Because when you believe that you are not worthwhile, it affects everything you do. It affects every relationship you have. It affects every task that you take on, right? If you believe that you are not a worthwhile person, that you don't matter, that you are rejectable, how does that influence things in your life? What kind of effects does that have on everyday life for people? Give me some ideas. Think out loud with me. Negativity, okay? You always are prone to, if you feel negative about yourself, the world feels negative. It feels like a criticism waiting to happen or a rejection waiting to happen. What else? Jealousy. I look at somebody else who has, who looks like they have what I want, and I wish I were them. I wish I had their stuff, right? Is it easy to get really close and care about somebody that you're jealous of? Because you want what they, you're not caring for them. You're, you want them, right? What else? What other kind of things happen? Yes, because failure, in, if I am an insecure person, Failure says something that I already believe about myself, and it feels like evidence that it's true, at least evidence to other people that probably will think it's true, right? In other words, my performance starts to become the way that I try to cope with my feeling of being less than. If I can perform, then I can kind of mask, hide, or at least argue against my, but when I fail, ah, it must be true. I'm a nothing. What other kind of things? Tom? Yeah. Why would they miss out on it, Tom? Without the confidence in who you're made to be, you will not step forward into what you're made to be because you second-guess yourself all the time. You're not willing to take the risk because it's too risky. If I fail, then, then I must be nothing, right? If I believe that who I am and God made me who I am, then I have the confidence by faith to step forward into that, but I won't. And so the enemy attacks like that. Tom? Yeah. And that, that was devastating. Yeah. Devastating. Yeah, and confusing. Which, which really confuses you when you look at as God gives you children and you go, I've got to lead these people. I'm not qualified because you think I'm a failure. You, know, I, you, you don't come from it from a place of God made me for this. You come from a place of have I figured it out? Do I, ha- do I have it together? Can I handle this? Right? 
And anytime you come from a human perspective on it, a human value, a human measuring up, you will always find, if you're honest, a shortfall. And that shortfall can, can bring a lot of guilt, a lot of shame. Tony, yeah. It is an excuse for inaction. In the end, I can say, well, they're better off without me doing it because I would just mess it up anyway. You know? Yeah, it's interesting. When we think about failure, and we're so failure-averse, um, the whole Old Testament law was set up to cause people to fail. Think about that for a little bit. The reason it was there is to show us that we, we can't do it. Because there's a truth in that that I need. In other words, the only way that I really grab a hold of that is by the experience of failure. It's the only way for my pride, my arrogance, my, my humanity to be crushed. Um, a little sneak for you guys. You can keep this secret, hopefully, between now and then. In August, for the Sundays in August, we're going to do a series called Failure is Not an Option. But it's, it's, a, it's a lie. It's a deception, okay? Because it's not an option. It's absolutely necessary, <laughs> That's what it's going to be. Failure is not an option. It's absolutely necessary. In other words, if you don't fail, you probably are not stepping forward by faith anywhere. You know, we learn by failure. We learn in many ways by taking a step and, oh, that didn't work, but it doesn't stop me. I keep going because I, the calling wasn't wrong and my attempt wasn't wrong, but I needed to learn by stepping forward and letting it fall apart because it's not about, does this make me look good or does this make me valuable? It's about, has God called me to it? And if God's called me to it, I'll keep after it. And I think when we go through that series, you will be stunned at the regularity in the word of God of people that God used as the banner names in all of history and their testimony is failure, 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 failure. I mean, just blow you away if you ever stopped and thought about it. You know, Moses, one of the biggest names in the word of God, was 80 before he did anything worthwhile. And, and how much of a failure do you think he felt like when he recognized that God raised him, saved him from, from certain death, raised him in the greatest privilege there ever could be on the world at that time in the house of Pharaoh. All the learning, all the skills, all the leadership training, all everything. And when he got old enough and said, I, I need to step up and lead from God's people, he wound up failing in his leadership by killing an Egyptian and whatever, being rejected and running away for 40 years. Failure. And then and we don't think about, ah, oh, Moses, the failure. That's what the Bible presents, you know? Abraham, the failure. David, the failure. You know what I mean? Like, just, look, you read their stories and they're just flat on their face. Peter, the failure. They're just down. And yet, as we think about their names, what we think about is what God did through them that was unbelievable, right? You don't think about Elijah running away in depression saying, I want to quit, God. You don't think, what you think about is him calling down fire from heaven. That's what you think about. And so when we have this thing inside of us that the enemy loves to whisper at us that you don't matter and you'll never do it and it's never going to work for you and nobody likes you anyway and you're just going to be rejected and all of those things that are everywhere and we buy it, we are right in the enemy's hands to be destroyed. Do you know what I mean? And so Paul comes after the church and he says, hey, Guys, think about this. 
When you start to compare yourself to others, you are in a mode that will inevitably lead to one thing. When you look across at someone else and you say, well, I don't have what they have. I'm not like them. I'm not as good as they are. I'm not as spiritual as they are. I'm not as talented as they are. My kids aren't like them. My job isn't like... When you look across at someone else and start to compare, it is the first step towards either arrogance or insecurity. There's only two places it takes you. It never takes you to healthy. It only takes you one of the two places. Okay, And he starts by addressing the people who look across and say, I'm not as good at that as that person. So therefore, my conclusion, I don't matter. I don't belong. And I think that is an epidemic relationally. Um, we talk about we are one body. We need to function together as a body. We are not functioning as a body because people are so scared and insecure, not knowing who they are, thinking that who they are is a summary of what they've accomplished, what they've done, the strength and ability they think they have, instead of looking at the calling of God in their lives and stepping up into it. You may dads run from this giant calling of caring for, uh, leading spiritually their children because God called them to it. They run from it because it's too big, it's too hard, and I get it. But you're not called to run from it. You're called to step up into it. Not step up into it because you're going to be perfect at it and you got it all figured out, but step up into it so that God can do His work in you. So that you can go forward by faith. You can learn how to walk in the Spirit and not in your flesh. But we don't do that. We just go, safer just to stay at work. You know what I'm doing there. Safer just to stay distant. Safer just to something else. Run away. Insecurity, a powerful weapon in the hands of our enemy. So Paul speaking to those with self-image issues. I don't matter because I don't measure up. And he's speaking to those who find ways to dismiss their worth. They have worth, but they dismiss it. Okay, did you see that in the picture he gave? He's talking about somebody's a hand, and they say, I don't matter because I'm not a foot. Or an eye that says, I don't matter because I'm not an ear, or whatever. Right? So... In being a hand or a foot or an eye or an ear, there are certain things that you have worth in that for being, right? You're not like, oh man, you know what, this lousy hand, if I could just get rid of this hand, that would be the best thing ever. No, I need my hand. As a matter of fact, if I, if I overdo it with my hand and it hurts and I can't use it for a couple of days, I'm really like, man, this is such, a, such an irritating situation. I can't stand this. I can't wait to get my hand back so that I can use it for the things that I need to use it for. It has worth. It has service. It helps. It makes my body more effective and more functional. So it has worth. And yet in Paul's illustration here, it looks at another part of the body and says, because I'm not you, because I don't do that, I don't matter. So it does both things. This insecurity does both things. It looks at someone else and magnifies their abilities and looks at what God's given me and minimizes it, brushes over it brushes it away, refuses to use it. So it's kind of this double tragedy. There's this deception inside of us that looks around and compares and says, you know, man, I'm, I'm a foot, but I can't do anything because I'm not a hand. Really? Is that, would anybody believe that about the body? That your foot is worthless because it's not a hand? Would you, you know, would you try to be, I mean, I, people with disabilities and stuff, they, they learn to do this stuff, but would you go home and try to like learn how to brush your teeth with your foot? 
Like, why would you do that? You got a hand to do that. You know what I mean? Like, you wouldn't do that. That does, that's does not fitting. It's much, much harder than it should be because this is what's made to do that, not that. But I also wouldn't go try to walk around on my hands all the time because that's made for the walking around, not this. Right? So that idea is if I'm looking at something that's accomplishing something for the cause of Christ or doing something and say, well, that's the only role that's any worth. What I've done is I've magnified someone else and I've minimized mine, even dismissed mine, my worth. And in doing that, I've neutralized both the connection of the body, because his point in the previous paragraph was God gives these gifts out. They're all workings of the spirit. So they are all equally valuable because they are all reflections of what God has given because he chose to give it. They they are God-given gifts. And so every single one of them is worthwhile because they are gifts from God. Equally. That was his point before. Now his point is, you look over and you say, well, I don't matter because I'm not like that. I found a reason to think that I don't matter. And so we start to look at what I don't have instead of what I do. Don't what I don't have instead of what I do. Um, You ever get into a problem where you're like, man, if if I only could do that. You know, maybe you're one of those people who like to spend money. Maybe you're a spender, right? And you probably know somebody or are married to somebody who's a saver, right? You're like, oh, I wish I could just be more like that. Then all our money problems would go away. Except when I'm in the store, I don't wish I would be like that. Then I like to be a spender because that's what I like to do. But the idea is I look over there and I think, oh, man, I wish I could be like that. Well, are you going to be like that? Are you going to change who you are? No, but there are good things to why who you are and what you are. Right there, there's productivity. There's strength in that. And so, when when God came to Moses out in the wilderness, um, and he was up on a mountain looking at a burning bush, God asked him a question. He said, "I want you to go to the most powerful man on the earth, the man you know you probably knew as you were growing up, who's now in charge at the place where you ran away from. I want you to go talk to him, and I want you to tell him, let all these slaves go." Moses says, now that sounds like a big job, God, and I don't think I'm prepared for it, which is probably what you would say too, if you could even talk to God, because that would be kind of scary. God says to him, what is in your hand? What's in your hand? And he's like, "Uh, a stick. Perfect. I'll use a stick. What we don't do when problems come our way is say, Lord, what have you given me? What's in my hand? What are you, is there something you're calling me to do? We look around with this ache, this sense of lack to everybody else and go, if only I had that, if only it was like this, if only that thing happened. If only. We look around at what's not instead of what is. And here, what, what the, re, the reason that comes down to being a point is because Paul says, listen, if you look around for what's not, you'll find stuff all the time. Is it hard for you to find things that you don't have? To, to bring to mind stuff that you could use that, that would be nice to have? Is that a difficult task for you? Could, it, could you put down 10 things in a, in a list pretty quickly of stuff that would be nice to have? Maybe, you know, maybe your car's been breaking down, you could use a new car, or you know, maybe there's a different person sitting next to you at work or whatever. Like, whatever. There's things that would make your life... It's not hard for us to come up with, I'd like this to be different about my life. But if you start looking at what I wish would be different, what you automatically don't look at is what God's given me, what's good in my life. 
the blessings God's given me in my life. And so Moses here on the mountain looking at the task, too big. And God says, don't worry about it. Let's just use that stick in your hand. Well, the stick, what's a stick going to do? Stick's not going to do anything. Oh, watch. The power of God's going to turn it into a snake. The power of God's going to have it stretched out over waters and part a sea. They have it hit a rock and have water come out. The power of God's going to do some incredible stuff with just a stick because it wasn't about the stick. It's about you recognizing that what God has given you is enough, that God has made you enough, that God has made you valuable and worthwhile and meaningful and purposeful just as you are because he's like that, because God is good like that. And so the challenge for you and I is not to look around and, and take account of what could be different, what should be different, what would be nice to have different. Count of is to look around and say, this is what God has given me, and God is good. And if God is good, then this is good, that I have what I need, even if it doesn't look like it's enough for the task. Because the power, it's never about the thing I have, it's about me trusting the power of God in my life. Does that make sense? I think that that truth can transform our experience in Christ. If we will grab a hold of it, and Paul is saying to them, here's my answer. Trust what God has done for you. Trust what God has made you to be. Live by faith in the necessity of you. If you struggle with, do I matter? Am I important? Here's what God says about you. I made you how you need to be because I'm good and your creation is a reflection of my goodness. Do you believe it? Will you live in it? Will you trust it or not? Uh, verse 18. But the, in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. In other words, God decided that you would be how you are. Now, I'm not saying that we get to use, you know, God made me how I am as an excuse to be a lousy person, Right? You may have some weaknesses in your life that are there as a result of sin, of the, of the tragedy of this world, absolutely. And you don't get to just go, well, this is how God made me, take it or leave it. You don't get to just be unconcerned and uncaring about how you interact with people and with life and all that. However, all of us have limitations. All of us are not you know, this, able to do everything we would like to do. All of us. And do we accept those limitations? Do we work inside of them, allowing God to be our strength? Or do we wish we had more or were more? And Paul, in addressing these people who struggle with self-image, specifically says to them, I know you've been brushed aside as unimportant. I know you've been treated like you don't matter. And tragically, in the church, right? In the church of Corinth, people were treated like, nah, you're nothing, you don't matter, so Paul has a message for them. I hope you picked it up. Paul said, ignore them. They're wrong about you. When someone treats you like you are not valuable, like you're not worthwhile, they are finding themselves in disagreement with God Almighty. And guess who's right? Not them. So your choice is, will you believe what God says about you, how God made you? Will your faith be in Him, in His created design and way? Or will your faith be in what people think of you and how people treat you? You have to dismiss people who in ignorance 
think that you are unimportant or rejectable because they're wrong. How do we know that someone who says, you're a reject, I don't care about you, you don't matter, how do I know that they're wrong? How do I know what God thinks about that person? Give me some thoughts. How do I know? Because we were made in the image of God. That's a pretty serious thing, right? How else? Fearfully and wonderfully made. God made me, and God doesn't make garbage. God, right? God makes wonderful things. That's the whole point of Psalm 139. How else do I know what I'm worth? Oh, he gave his son for you. I mean, is there a bigger statement about how much God thinks you're worth, about God's assigned value of you, than God saying, no one's forcing me to, but because you need salvation, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my son to lay down his life for you. So when it comes down to it, if someone is acting or treating you or someone you know like they're not valuable, they have a choice between believing what that person thinks in their ignorance, in their wickedness, in their whatever, or trusting what God says about them. What are you going to do? You're going to walk by faith? You're going to walk by sight? I'll tell you, as my kids grew up, that's one of the ways that we parented, was we kept coming. There lots of rejection. You know, middle schools are rough years, you know? You go through elementary school, it's a la-di-da, and you get to the upper ones, and it starts to be like there's some friction, and then middle school's tough, right? And you get the tears, and them coming home, and what happened today, and I can't tell you how many conversations we had that said, I know it hurts. God did not say turn off the hurt. You don't. You don't get to turn off the hurt. But I can tell you this, it's a lie. What they think about you is wrong. They're deceived. They're wrong. It's a lie. And it's not because I'm your dad telling you what I think about you. It's because your heavenly father who knows you and made you said this about you. And they find themselves disagreeing with him. So you need to believe him. But you have to choose whether you will or not. If you want to have the security to stand up in the way that God created you to be and the person God created you to be, you've got to come to grips with what you believe about the value you have because of what God says about you, because God made you in His image with His own hands to make you exactly how you were supposed to be. Are you going to believe that or not? If you look for your worth to come from feedback in other things like the approval of others or the achievements that you have or whatever, you will never find worth that lasts. You might find a day where you feel good about yourself for a week or a month, but eventually your failures keep coming. And if your performance is what defines you, every failure says something about you you can't stomach, you can't bear. God does not define you by your performance. God defines you by His grace, by His mercy, by His love for you. That's how much you're worth. Will you believe it or not? And that's what Paul says. You just need to ignore them. Not that, you, not that it won't hurt and you won't cry and tears won't be shed. You are not called to be a robot. Okay? But there's a difference between hurting and moving on anyway. Do you know what I mean? There's almost, I don't know exactly how to explain it, but there's like this, you can set aside the reality that it hurts and I'm experiencing that pain and not let it make decisions for me. If your hurt is making decisions for you, you're not making good decisions. You're making bad decisions. 
Because you're either making bitter decisions or you're making protective, insulating decisions. You are making decisions out of hurt, and hurt is not telling you. Hurt's just a crisis mode, right? So you have to get aside from that. Uh, I put a devotional up on Twitter yesterday, whatever it was. Dana happened to put the same one up, so we're like in sync or whatever. Um, but it was, it was a devotional that talked about those who sow in tears will reap in joy, which is a very poetic thing, a very wonderful thing. But it was John Piper, and he was talking, and he said, um, you don't really have to sow in tears. There's nothing sad about sowing. But the sense that he brought out of it that I thought was very, very rich was this person has an emotional experience of tears, but there's work that needs to be done anyway. And so while I'm crying, here I go. I'm still doing what needs to get done. I'm still sowing. The tears are here. I can't turn them off. I can't turn away from them. They're here. But my actions are still being defined by what I know is true, that there's sowing to be done. I think what he's saying is the implication to him is that the tears could be an excuse not to sow. And then there's no reaping. Like, okay, so you got the tears. The question is not whether you have the tears or not. The question is what you're going to do while you have the tears. Does that make sense? You can let them tell you too much, too big, got to go, give up, go away. Or you can say, I still need to go forward by faith. I still need to live for what matters eternally. I have to go forward. So Paul says logically and spiritually by faith, you have to trust that. You cannot disqualify yourself. You cannot minimize yourself. You cannot discredit yourself because in doing so, you absolutely go against what God said about you and Logically, you will go against the very idea of a body, right? That's why he says, um, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be, right? You, You need all the parts of the body. Logically, you need all the parts of the body. So you can't dismiss yourself because you're not like another part of the body because God needs all the parts of the body. So there's just a, a simple logic to it. If the whole body were an eye, ridiculous, right? In order for a body to function, there has to be diversity. And so different doesn't mean we should make comparisons to each other. We recognize that we are different, but we choose to see that we are the same. In unity, we recognize that we are different, but we choose to see that we are the same. So when we do communion, we get up and we stand around the whole church here in a circle. And that is meant in our hearts, to symbolize that we are all the same, that we are one, that we are a family, that we are on level ground here, right? That's just a symbolic way of talking about sitting at a, at a round table, the idea of being around in the room and as one big family, connected like that, that there's nobody better or worse, that we choose, even though somebody might look, humanly speaking, to have more giftedness or more attractive or a better person or whatever, we are the same because we're all here by the grace of God. And we choose to see ourselves as the same. We choose to see ourselves as the same in worth, not better than or worse than. We choose to see ourselves the same as. And we choose to see ourselves as connected, interdependent, as one body. All right? And then he closes that, this whole section by saying, but in fact, God arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And, and what he says there is this. A poor self-image is a response to God's design. What is the response? If I think that I am worthless, that I am a reject, what am I saying about God to God? 
Yeah. I've seen your work, God. It's not good. That's what I'm saying to God. It's, I mean, it's rebellion is what it is. It doesn't feel like that. It feels like humility. It feels like wounds. If, I mean, but ultimately what it leads me to is, God, I know better than you. You made me like this. You're wrong. It either leads me to believe God is not good, even though he's revealed himself to be good, or that God is not great, even though you can just look up on a starry night and see that God is great. But we reject the truth and we embrace a lie. When you reject the truth and embrace a lie, you're in bad shape. Please. Yeah. That's, and it's a good point. It almost feels conceited to believe that I'm valuable. All right. So let's think about that for a second. Conceited. I mean, it's this false humility that, that's, that, that's laid out there as a trap for everybody. Conceited would mean it is to your glory to your honor that you are valuable. It's not. It would mean that you think you are valuable in the face of other less than valuable people. Christianity says, I am valuable because God made me valuable. I had nothing to do with it. I choose to accept because God made me in his image for his glory. I choose to accept that calling on my life. And I will live confidently in what God made me to do because I live by faith in God. Secondly, it says this. You have the same opportunity I have. You can do it exactly like I'm doing it. You are as valuable as I am. I'm not better than or worse than anybody else. I do not make anybody actually better by feeling worse about myself. I actually don't make myself less valuable by feeling worse about myself. Do I? When you feel like you're a crummy person, does that make you a a less valuable person? I mean, according to what God says, no. So the idea is this. You have the choice to live by faith, not in a way that puffs you up above other people. There's no above other people. There's just, I'm confident in who God made me to be because God's a good God and He's my heavenly Father and He made me like this and He's exactly right. He never makes a mistake. He's glorious. He's holy. He's perfect. He's righteous. He always does the right thing and so therefore when He made me, He made me right. Praise the Lord. And I go on confidently in that. It's like like when you first become a parent and you feel like, I don't know if I'm ready for this. I don't know if I can handle this, especially the first night when they keep crying all night. You know, I don't know what to do about this. Do you go, wait a minute, maybe I'm not actually the parent. You just step up into it because they're my kid. You know they're your kid. You don't think I'm such a wonderful person because I have a kid. You're just like, I know who I am. I know I'm the mom. I know I'm the dad. This is my child. And my heart is just to believe that and, and step forward into it. That's what your identity is. It's not about feeling good about yourself or bad about yourself. It's about feeling confident that God made you and stepping up into what God made you to be, not because other people think you're this or that, but because of what God has decreed over your life. Does that make sense? Yeah, it is, it's a non-human thought process to think it's free. You don't have to want what I have. You can have what I have because you can get it the same way I got it. I didn't get it by being a good enough person to get it. I didn't get it by being special enough to get it. I got it because God said, I love you. Here it is. Do you want it? Right. Absolutely. 
And that, there, there's no pride in that. I mean, I'm thankful. I can be thankful without being proud. You know, I can be confident in eternity without being proud of eternity. Like, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. How about you? I'm not proud of it. I'm really happy about it, but I'm not proud of it because I didn't do anything for it. You, you with me? There's a difference. The, the pride thing is not a part of it at all. I don't have to be proud to be confident. I can be confident in faith. You know? Make sense? Who else raised their hand? Somebody. Tell them. Yeah. Yeah. And that actually, um, the next section here is about those who want to be better by, by minimizing and dismissing other people. The first section, he talks to the people who are getting trashed and who are believing it and says, don't you dare believe it. God, God's word is true. God's opinion of you is true. You've got to decide whose opinion matters to you. Now, the next part is he says to people who are the ones doing the trashing, don't you dare do that. And so we'll pick that up when we get here next time. All right, any other thoughts on that? Tom, yeah. You know, it's interesting that we do that. It's almost a universal human thing to judge someone else by their strength and myself by my weakness, like in the worst possible light and the best possible light thing there. But when we, especially as we read through John, Jesus talks about the, the source of our power and strength. The, the opportunity for your strength is the exact same opportunity for my strength. From Almighty God. It's the same strength. It's exceeding riches of His glory. You know, it's like this overabundance, this overflow, this never-ending stream of power for your life. You can have the exact same power I have. If you're looking at my strengths and weaknesses, you're looking in the wrong place. Because anything that's accomplished eternally is not accomplished in my strength. It's accomplished in spite of my strength, through the strength of God. And so in that stuff, we have to kind of like get our minds in a different realm. It's why when we, t- when we share our faith with people, they can't quite get it unless the Spirit turns on the light bulb for them because it's something that's only perceived spiritually. It's something that's only understood spiritually, right? To understand that, that I can be at one with God even though I've blown it. How is that possible? That's possible because of Jesus Christ who loved you enough to die for you. Wow, let's live in light of that right? And then as I walk forward in my life, I live in the identity of what God created me to be and who God created me to be. And so my passion becomes finding out, you know, God, what have you given me? What's in my hand? What's mine to do? What's mine to use? Let me go use that for you. And you direct me and you lead me and wherever you call me to be, that's where I'll be because you designed me, you made me, you gave me purpose, you gave me value. And I want to live that out. I don't want to hide it under a bushel. I don't want it to quench the light of it. I want it to be clear to people that you are amazing because of what you've been doing in my life and through my life. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people who can identify with, I was brought up in a scenario that taught me my, my worth was little or taught me that my worth was based on what I did or how I performed. Um, and, and those things stay with you. But God has set you free from that. Will you live in that freedom or will you be brought back under a yoke of bondage. Live in that freedom, you know? Sometimes it's like this. Sometimes it's not other people's thoughts of you. It's your own thoughts of yourself um, because you're frustrated with yourself or you're irritated with yourself. Sometimes we don't like ourselves. Do you know enough to know that when you think that little of yourself that you're, you're not right? That God's view of you remains the same and you've got to give up on your frustration? People think it's, 
you know, if I beat myself up, I'll perform better. If I beat myself up, I'll have paid for what I did wrong and then I'll be even again. Man, all kinds of lies, all kinds of lies. And they're meant to sap the power of God out of your life. Power of God comes by faith in the truth. The truth is you've been adopted, you've been chosen, you've been made new in Jesus Christ. Uh, Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Word workmanship, masterpiece. Live like a masterpiece. I don't think the Mona Lisa is proud of being the Mona Lisa, but it's widely hailed as a masterpiece to the credit of, not Mona Lisa, the one who painted, right? So Da Vinci gets the credit for the masterpiece, but the masterpiece reflects the glory. You are his masterpiece. Live confident. Don't let anything shake you. Live free. Let God set you free.